bottleneck tends to be the owner a lot of times where because you know we're people of many hats and we're like, oh, I can do this. Let me put that hat on. Oh, I can be the copywriter. Let me put that hat on. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. Today, I'm excited to welcome to the show a fellow believer in uh, there's no such thing of getting rich easy. Uh, it's all hard work. And so I'm excited to get into that at the end. But Bev Brody from Tactical Baby Gear, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'll correct you on that. It's Beeve Brody. Beeve. See, you, we do this before and I always get it right. <laughs> And then I just double down and do it wrong every time I record these things. But we're going to leave it in because he, we've already said we're not editing anything out of this one. So uh, that's real life. I do it all the time too. I'll be like, have some big name guests, and it's like I know their name, I like know this person, and then I'm like, introduce them completely wrong and feel like an idiot. Yeah, and I always, but that's life. In in the pre-show, I'm always like, hey, like, are we? Uh, you know, am I saying this right? And they're like, you got it spot on. And then I do it, and they're like, you did it wrong because that's my brain doesn't. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, man. Thanks for so. Anyways, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, yeah. Thanks for being here and, and accepting me for who I am. Yeah. So let's get into it. Uh, let's let's talk about tactical baby gear first. Uh, founder story again. I know my listeners, my audience likes the founder story because they like hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. Is that is that the right way to use that phrase? Yeah, I think so. Um, so the the founder story. I uh, you know like a lot of other great businesses. It's something that kind of came out of necessity, and I was solving my own problem. Um, and that problem being that you know I was having a second daughter, and uh, I knew you know being hands on, like a super hands on dad, the first time with my first daughter, and then finding out my wife was pregnant, and it was an, another girl, and I was like, "Fuck, man! Like I got to carry my wife's girly purple flower diaper bag again." And I don't want to do that. And for the listeners who are like, I'm a you know heavily tattooed, covered in tattoos. I'm like your dude's dude. You know, I, I come from building custom cars and motorcycles, and you know, it's like I, I just a girly diaper bag didn't fit my personality and my lifestyle. Uh, not that it was going to keep me from being a good parent, but I was like, well, you know, I'm I'm such a hands-on dad. I'm carrying the diaper bag more often than she is. Like she was working a full-time job till 10 and 11 o'clock at night. And I just, I was picking the kids up from daycare. I was bringing them home. I was changing diapers and making dinner and doing bedtime and bath time. And, you know, I was like super hands-on dad running all the errands. So I constantly had the diaper bag. And I was like, if we're having a girl again, and I know that means she's going to carry this purple bag. I want my own bag that fits my personality. That doesn't make me feel like this is something I have to do versus something I get to do sort of mentality. So anyways, mm -hmm. I went searching uh, Google for like cool men's diaper bags or whatever. And this is back in 2013. And nothing existed in that world aside from like maybe the black or gray version of what still looked like a, a diaper bag through and through. So I was like, yeah, man, these things still just like, yeah. So uh, again, my my background in, in automotive and building custom cars and stuff, I um, did upholstery. You know, as part of that, so I've got skills in sewing, cut and sew, sewing machines, things like that. So I decided I was going to make my own diaper bag and make it more of a military tactical style. That's kind of a another 
community I was a part of was like the hardcore gear, gun guys, stuff like that. I was like, I want a tactical diaper bag. And then I was like, Ooh, that's a good idea. And I know there's a lot of other dudes like me, you know, like all my buddies would prefer that over, you know, having to carry their wife's bag. And they're all like, Oh, that's brilliant. That's cool. You know, make me one stuff like that. I was like, this is, I got something here. Like, and then I sort of treated it like a side hustle for a long time. And now it's grown into like this big eight figure business. And you know, here we are. All right. All right. So there was a lot of, (laughs) there was a lot of growth in the last sentence there. So let's talk about, so you got the idea. You couldn't find what you were looking for, which time and time again, we hear that on this. So you're like, I'm just going to DIY it. I'm going to do it myself. Um, how many times were you kind of, you know, redoing your, your quote unquote, like uh, prototype or, you know, was it like, how long was that thing kind of getting it from a prototype to, I'm, I'm assuming you did, you cut and sewed the first one yourself. Right. How long was the journey from that until you realized that you couldn't produce these fast enough by yourself that you needed to like, to essentially get in touch with, I'm assuming is like a fulfillment house or like a seamstress company, you know, factory. Yeah. Yeah. Factory. So it was pretty quickly. Cause again, I, you know, so I had a, I had a, a car shop at the time. I was already, already running a business. I'm, you know, an entrepreneur at heart. So I, I was working for myself then running a, a car business from 7am to 6, 7pm. And then I was putting the kids to bed and then coming home and working on tactical baby gear stuff, uh, whether that was Instagram and Facebook or trying to figure out the e-commerce plot, you know, world at that time, which you know, in 2013 is a bit different from from where it is today. Oh yeah, there was a lot less information about it, and still a lot of things to figure out. And it wasn't, you know, we still even back then weren't completely in a mobile first environment. So there was like, there's just a lot of things. It was in this weird transition phase to kind of where we are now. But uh, it was pretty quickly. I was like, there's no way. You know, and when I started to get the traction through Instagram community I had in the automotive world on Instagram to kind of give myself some shout outs and network with some of my other friends in that world that had huge followings to get some shout outs from then. Um, and that really, really kickstarted it. And there was like, oh, holy shit, there's no way I can keep up with this. Like, I've got to get someone else to make these bags. So I outsourced like small batches of bags uh, for a while until I could get to like a real factory that was like, could do hundreds and hundreds of bags at a time. Um, but it was pretty quickly. I was like, there's, I can't, I've got a business, to, another business to run. I got two kids to take care of and the side hustle. And I can't be the one making the product. It's not scalable, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't take long for me to realize that I needed to, to outsource that. Gotcha. Let's be honest today. All of your customers are going to have questions. And what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous. And Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e-commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rothy's. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard so you can solve their problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.link slash honest. That's G-O-R... G-I-A-S dot L-I-N-K slash H-O-N-E-S-T to get your second month free. So uh, within building building this whole community kind of on the back of Instagram and, and, and like reaching out and finding customers and the communities that kind of responds to this type of product, like what would you say was like a winning strategy for you back then? And then would you say it still works now? Or is there something you would do now and where you where you'd put your focus if you're trying to go from kind of just 
zero to one and I need to get my first couple sales. I need to get feedback from real people. I need to know if I'm onto something here. In terms of Instagram strategy? Yeah. I think hashtags are still super powerful uh, in the ter- in terms of like using the correct ones to help for discoverability, but also going through those relevant hashtags that are relevant to your brand or your product and and commenting on other people's stuff with genuine comments, not spamming them with shit, but like genuine comments about, you know, for me, I was going through hashtags like newborn or expecting, and it's like, hey, congrats, you know, blah, blah, blah. Especially if I can find pictures uh, that had dads in them. And I'll be like, oh, you know, um, I would just say, you know, some genuine nice comment about the picture and not, hey, come buy one of our bags or, you know, whatever. I, I was never, I never go on a first impression to somebody with my hand out asking for money. I think that's a terrible strategy. I think so. Um, what's that? Leading with value is like the number one thing you can learn in business is you got to lead with value. I think so. And maybe it's not always value, but just it. It needs to just be like organic, I think is the best way without expecting something in return. So just because I commented on on this woman's post on Instagram that was like expecting or 28 weeks or whatever. And I was like, Hey, congrats, you know, so excited for you or congrats, you know, it's a gender reveal. It's like, it's a girl. And you're like, Hey, congrats on the girl. You guys are going to love it. But you know, I, I'm not expecting them to come buy something, but it's just that top of funnel awareness in a very organic, genuine way. Mm-hmm. It's not spammy, which then leads people to be like, oh, that was nice. And like, oh, tactical baby gear. What's that? And they click on it and they're like, oh, these are cool bags. My husband would love this. They go to the surf the website. And then, you know, then ideally you're hitting them with retargeting ads and they showed some intent. And that's where I start to get a little more transactional, right? Is like people that showed a little bit more intent. And then you have to obviously work them down the funnel to a purchase in a non spammy way, in my opinion, that's how we structure our business. I don't, I'm I try not to be spammy, you know? No, I think that's so people all the time. They ask us, they're like, Hey, you know, like I want to get into paid media, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram, people are winning there. Right. And it's like, well, kind of like, you know, you missed the boat. It's not cheap anymore, but I think having a, got to pay to play. Yeah. That's a good first strategy. Top of the funnel commenting. You and the rest of the team are just searching hashtags and being genuine human beings and then hit... Yeah, that was the strategy in the early days. Like, I'm not going through as many hashtags as I used to. Like, yeah. you used to, you know, we've got a lot of money running behind ads at top of funnel stuff. So, but I think like you're to your point, your question was, how do you go from zero to one? You know, and I think that's the way to do it. Like, even even though we're, we are living in a pay to play world with social media on the big platforms there's still a huge opportunity for the organic stuff uh, if you put the effort in. Yep. So there's no... It's not an easy thing like you said before where it's all organic and it's you know Instagram that used to be chronological and you saw every post from every person you followed. Uh, those days are gone for sure. But if you're willing to put in the effort and grind through commenting on people's stuff, replying to your comments, actually replying to your DMs, it blows my mind how many people you know seem like they're like too good to reply back to somebody's DM or something like that blows my mind. Bad customer service. It's it's awful because you, you, without customer service, you have nothing. Without customers, you'd have a business that's not making you any money. Right. And then that's just a terrible hobby at that point. Consumer centric <laughs> brand or business in order to like have have meaningful growth and wealth. Like you can't be all about yourself. You have to be about the consumer first and then figure out how to make it work. Yeah. And so if if you're looking to get into paid ads and you have more time than money, which is a lot of young brands, 
Start with that top of the funnel strategy of you know just finding comments, uh, finding hashtags, and commenting genuine stuff. Don't expect anything, but then you can retarget them for way less money if they've hit your website or if you want to do Instagram engagement or what have you, and that's going to save essentially half your budget depending on how aggressive your strategy is because prospecting is the most expensive thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where that's where we lose money, and a lot of big brands lose money on that top of the funnel stuff, the awareness. Once they get into the mid and lower funnel stuff, like you already know how much intent they have or don't have, so like you can focus your money on those dollars where you start to see the actual ROI. So like, put the you know put the put the the hours into the top of the funnel for free, and then yeah, spend money on the lower funnel stuff. It's a way better strategy if you have time for it. Yeah, it sounds like you know a bit a bit about Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising. What's like uh I guess some some tips to look out for if you're hiring a consultant or like where should your focus be on what metrics should it be if you're out there trying to, you know, grow your business through that lens? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I struggle with hiring consultants or or agencies myself. Um I'm sort of a control freak like like that, but I'm also like I have a marketing mind. And I want to control our our voice and our customer experience in that regard. So we do all that stuff in house. Um, and the, I'll give you the metrics that I pay attention to. And like we just talked about, the top of funnels. So you can't. It's really difficult, in my opinion, especially with an agency, to give them one metric to focus on. So if you're focused on ROAS, return on ad spend, or mm-hmm. the ROI, or the A cause, the the um, acquisition cost, and you know stuff like that, like. They focus so heavily on what the ROI is for the for the whole um, ad account that it starts to get spammy. They're focused on on way too transactional content and things like that that can turn some people off. And then you also have to realize there's there's like a time and a place for that ROI. So like the mid and lower funnel stuff. If you can convert customers on top funnel stuff, by all means, go for it. I'm not discouraging that, but be very careful about how you do it. Anyways, back to like the metric thing though. It's like if you're focused on like solely ROI, it's hard to grow. If you're like, listen, I'm going to go full growth mode and I don't, and it's like, I'm going to, you know, just dump tons of money at the top of funnel and get like massive awareness. Um, know that like your ROI is going to come down a little bit. So I tend to look at like different parts of the funnel and how they're performing individually versus mm-hmm. like one metric to rule them all. Yeah. Typically, I mean, that's kind of a, a loaded question and there's a lot of different ways to skin that cat, but like, Oh yeah, no, it's absolutely a loaded question. Um, it's yeah, it's just one of the it's when when people are like, my agency's always getting me ten x on everything, and I'm like, your agency is not prospecting. Yeah, yeah. Anybody like you could, I could run an, uh, a a re- retargeting ad for any e-commerce brand who's never done any retargeting and get them twenty six x at the bottom of the funnel. Like that is probably a pretty easy thing to do for a lot of people that have a decent product. Yep, that's another big key. If they have a good product, like and traffic, you can get. Crazy ROI at the bottom of the funnel, retargeting high intent people who maybe abandon a cart and like, hey, I got you twenty six x. But like, you can you have to continue to fill that funnel with people. So you have to do the prospecting. You have, and then you know if your ad account's performing at like a five x and you have massive growth, like that's really good. Yeah, you know people get hung up on these these Facebook ad gurus that you know are ten x and twenty x and like I don't give a shit if that's if you're so good like you're not growing. Period. It's just not happening. Or you're you're not telling the whole truth and painting the whole picture. You had one campaign that did one thing during Black Friday that got this person ridiculous results, and that's what you're selling people on, and it's bullshit. 
Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta ask for blended across everything, and then you gotta ask them to break it down like top, middle, and bottom. Those mean different things to everyone else, but that's like enough information to know. But it gives you some indicators on, hey, yeah, you need to focus more on this, or this is really great. Like, let's let that keep doing its thing, and let's let's you know fuel fuel that fire and add more people to it for sure. Um, I think another big thing I, I I've noticed for a lot of people I consult for and help you know with their brands. When and I dig into someone's ad account and I'm like, dude, this thing was crushing it. Like, why didn't you just spend more money? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, this is insane. Like, if I was doing this, I'd spend every penny I had. Or what do you just just turn it back on? <laughs> why? Why? He's like, and they're like, well, it, it, it didn't do that good for a few days, so I just turned it off. I'm like, you need more than three days of data to make a decision like that. As you know, it sounds like you know the pixel that can that thing can collect data for depending on how you have your uh, the. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, how fast you're spending money, essentially. So the how fast it can. Well, not not even that, but um, the attribution model. Like, is it? Yeah. Are you looking at this at seven days, fourteen days, twenty days, whatever? So it's like it's collecting data for you know seven days. For somebody that clicked on it today and bought a week from now, you're not even giving that a chance if you're turning it off after three days. Yeah, yeah. And then and then they see that like several days after turning off. It's like got better and better results because those people maybe finally purchased and they're like, oh, it wasn't doing that good when I turned it off. I'm like, why'd you turn it off? <laughs> oh man, it, it's so funny you say that because what happens sometimes at the bottom with those ads is someone sees it in like the middle. Maybe they weren't that intent and they're like, oh, you know what? I really wanted to buy that hat. So they go and then they add to cart and abandon it because they're like, they're probably going to send me a coupon code. And then Clavio does the heavy lifting and then, <laughs> yeah. and then it just gets, it just gets the job done. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio knows modern e-commerce is moving fast. Between email, mobile, and web, it can be hard to keep up with consumers and personalize their experience with your brand. Think of Clavio as a central command center for all your digital marketing needs. With email marketing, dynamic website content, social retargeting, SMS automation, and more, you'll take back control of the customer experience and own your business growth. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 brands like Casemate, Kapari, and Linen. Ready to find out how Klaviyo can help your business grow? Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a demo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Because you got to think about it. It's like... it's it. <sighs> It's so hard to be like I need this one channel to work for me. Like they, it's all got to. It's got to be a, a whole fulfilling system. It's got to work together. It's got to be cohesive. It's got to, and all the messaging has got to be the same. Yeah, for sure. In terms of how the campaigns uh, are cohesive with one another, you mean? Yeah. I, well, sometimes I see people offering like fifteen there and ten there, and like it just you know don't use the stock stuff. Go through and think about it. Be like, all right, this is the messages that we want to get out here. Yeah. On all this stuff with like kind of pushing people. I guess that'd be more of a strategy on like the middle and bottom of the funnel, like how you want to you know, what incentives that you want to give them. This is... I don't know why this brought this up is... Do we audit so many stores? Because you know, I'm an agency in real life. This is obviously marketing for my agency. Of course. Here's the veil's gone. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is top of funnel awareness. This is ex- exactly what it is. Um, We audit so many accounts and we get in there and these people, they'll have like two SMS apps running at the same time live. Collecting emails in different places, and then like a third, like, and then they'll have like Clavio, but then they still have the abandoned carts on from Shopify. So like, I'll add something to my cart, and then I'll get like 19 different messages that say different things. It's all over the place with different coupon codes. I'm like, how does? Hey, and and to that point, 
we talked about customer service. That creates a customer service nightmare. Oh yeah. You know, if, if you have a customer service and team in place like I do, or even if you're doing it yourself and you're starting out and all of a sudden, Hey, I just bought this thing, but I just got this 15% off coupon code and I use this 10% off. Can I get 5% back and da, 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 all this stuff. And then you're trying to figure out, it, it becomes a huge nightmare. Like the, the least amount of customer service you can do, the least amount of touch points of that customer on that end, like the better, like you need to focus your time on something else. Yeah, that's like one of the that's like a huge marketing point for some of these like return solutions that are out there in the ecosystem. They're like, you cut down on talking to people. Anytime you can automate like human interaction, it's gonna it's gonna make your business more profitable. It's just right. Some people only see dollars and cents on the front end. They don't like understand it on the back. Right. Yep. Man, we went down a huge rabbit hole there with Facebook all the way through it. Oh, dude, we can nerd out like we can keep going. You don't have to stop me. I love it. Oh, it's great. So now, like you said, uh, Tactical Baby, it's grown since the inception. It, it's this huge brand now. So I'm assuming your guys' strategy has changed a, a little bit. Uh, where are you guys spending more of your time these days as far as like top of the funnel, new customer acquisition? Uh, and I have a follow-up question. What was the biggest mistake you've made in like something you tried in, in the history of the brand? I always like that one as well. Okay. So... Those are two different time frames. I just threw them at you. Like that's how my brain works today. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, like our strategy overall, we spend we spend a lot of time, like a lot of time on Instagram. You know, still a good bit of time on Facebook, but you know, a lot of engagement with community people on on Instagram for sure. Although a lot of our uh, retargeting ads and things of that nature really convert best on Facebook. You, you got to think, you know, you get, you have to really try to dissect your your demographic and your your customer and where are they spending time. You know, you've got for us, it's like new parents who are excited and they're posting pictures of ultrasounds to their family on Facebook and stuff like that. Not as much on Instagram. Um, so you know, we we tend to convert pretty well through Facebook, but we do a, we spend a lot of like engagement time uh, on Instagram. Um, for sure. And that strategy is maintained. We're doing, you know, we do stuff on Pinterest and we do, you know, we dabble in a lot of the other platforms, but like we do a lot of heavy lifting through Facebook and Instagram for sure. Um, man, biggest mistake. Or uh, maybe, maybe, maybe if you could go back in time and talk to yourself, that's another way to think about it. What would you be like? Hey, you should don't do it this way. You should probably do this instead. I look at my ad account a lot of times, Facebook ad account. And I, I look at historical data and I look back at like what campaigns crushed it, you know, what about it. And I try to dissect it. Was it the copy? Was it the photo? Was it the targeting? What audience was it that was crushing it? Like stuff like that. And I look back and I go several years back and and I look at stuff and I'm like, holy shit, the ROI on stuff that I was like, I should have spent so much money. But then I'm like, oh, but I couldn't because we didn't have enough inventory. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a whole nother side of it. You know, selling a physical product is like, Keeping up with inventory and reinvesting money in that, and that's not cheap. You know, um, we have kind of an expensive product, and when you're selling through the amount that we sell through and the volume that we do, like you're investing millions and millions of dollars into inventory. Uh, so you know, and bootstrapping all of it, like we we didn't we don't have investors, we don't have money backing us and all that stuff. So like we've had to fund our way to the top, and and where we are now, I shouldn't say to the top, but to where we are now. Um, so we've been limited and I, like, I, if only I had more money to buy more inventory, then I would have spent four times as much money on Facebook or whatever and had even more growth. So that's one thing that like, I always look at like, ah, I should have spent more money. <laughs> yeah. I always like to think of it like there's like a, there's a three phases of growing a brand. And you know, the first one is product market fit. Be like, do you have something anyone wants? Like that's the hardest thing, figuring that out, like finding something that people want to buy. 
you've got the message behind it. Once you've got that figured out, like then you go into pretty much scaling, but I, not in a way where you're, it's like scale for the sake of scale. It's like, okay, now you got to grow the business. And in that phase, I think what you need to do, like when you solved for that, is when you can figure out like the two or three things that you can do to literally like. If I put effort here, I'm going to get more sales. Like it's it's black and white. It's like it's as black and white as it can be. Mm-hmm. And once you figure that out and you do that for a couple of years, you you venture into this like phase 3 of things which is just like finances. It's like the the part that no one wants to deal with with any business becomes the last part to deal with for most successful e-commerce businesses. You're like, "Cool. How do we get our margins down? How do we get our lead times down? How do we do inventory planning? How do like where are where are all of our sunk costs? Where are all of our lost co- like lost like revenues coming from, which is you know something that I don't think people talk about much. Uh, not saying you have to, but yeah, and I think that that's part of the reason we've we've had great success is because my business partner who I brought on a couple years after starting um, is like a finance guru. He's obsessed. He's like super OCD, spreadsheets open all day, like number crunching kind of person. And uh, I attribute a lot of like our early finances uh, to the success that we've had because uh, we were able to like maximize profits to reinvest in, into inventory and just buy as much inventory as we could afford. Uh, so like really paying attention to that and not spending money on dumb shit where, or paying ourselves a ton of money when we didn't have the money to pay ourselves. Like instead of paying ourselves, we just bought more inventory so we could grow this thing mm-hmm. and then putting that foundation in place whether it, you know like like you're talking about with scaling of like you know what things can we automate that that help the workflow so that I can focus on something else to help scale that you know and then you know as the foundation as your business grows like the foundation grows and you have to have different uh, foundational pieces in place at different times so it's like you can do an awful lot by yourself or one or two people and, and scale and grow and be you know, a million dollar business with just a couple people, depending on your product and what you, if you're like yeah. physically making a product yourself, that can be very difficult. Um, but if you're outsourcing that to a factory and you're just managing a lot of that stuff, like you could do a million dollars by yourself. Like that's not that difficult, really. But then to get from like, say, two to two to three, two to four million dollars, like you need some customer service help. Like you get to a scale and you're just dealing with more people and more volume to where. Now that that team needs to grow and and scaling that, and then to get from that four or five to to seven million and eight million, you need this in place, and then you start to hit the ten millions and eight figures, and you're like, there's just a lot of shit going on, and we need some more help, <laughs> you know. And then you start to realize where the bottlenecks are, yeah. And how do I how do I put someone in that role so that so that that's not the bottleneck, and that bottleneck tends to be the owner a lot of times, where because you know. We're people of many hats, and we're like, "Oh, I can do this. Let me put that hat on. Oh, I can be the copywriter. Let me put that hat on. Oh, I can manage this. Let me put that hat on." You get to the point where you're doing too many things, and then people are waiting on you, and this gets slipped through the cracks and all this stuff. So you just have to have the foundation in place to get to certain levels to continue to scale. That mm-hmm. um, is a huge thing that I've learned along the way, and we still struggle with that on a daily basis. Um, but it's a really interesting thing, and it's it's a cool and, and humbling experience to go through those things too. Uh, but it's also very frustrating when you realize that you're the bottleneck to the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, that's that's essentially uh, the CEO's job or the founder's job is to replace themselves as many times as they can. It's hard to do because some, like myself, there's some things that like I just don't want to let go of. And again, coming from like an automotive background where I was the one doing things and cutting and welding, fabricating, sewing, uh, you know, just building really cool custom stuff to like wanting to be in here, like doing the things, making videos, you know 
editing the podcast. Like I like to, I'm a creator. I'm like to make things and, and go from nothing to something. Uh, and now, you know, as a, as a visionary and a CEO, like I'm sort of just like trying to articulate my thoughts to other people and hopefully, and they're getting it done. And a lot of times they do it way better than I would have done it because like, that's their expertise. They do that one thing. They do it really, really well. I was okay at it. But I still enjoyed it, so it's like it's tough for people, you know, like myself, to like let go of certain things, when, especially yeah. when you're super passionate about it. So I kind of have a dual role and then like a CEO slash CMO, where I still control a lot of the marketing and strategy around that because I really love it. Um, but yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. You, you mentioned something there, uh, visionary. Are you a fan of Traction by Gino Whitman? I have no idea what that is. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that uses that phrase as a, as kind of one of the key elements of a of a business. I would agree with that. Um, you say book. I'm not really sure what books are because I don't read anything. I was on a podcast recently. It was like, hey, all right, what's the best book you've read recently? I'm like, I don't read books. I hardly read my email. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a good one, but you know, I'm not going to push it on you. You, you, can, yeah, yeah. you like to consume your content in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a visual person, man. I could watch videos and, and stuff like that all day, like reading just... I'm just, I think mainly because I'm like not a great, I'm not like a fast reader. So it takes me so long to consume stuff through words versus like a picture where I could digest that in like a fraction of a second and understand exactly, but like try to read three sentences and forget about it. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. It's one of those things you got to put in your reps. Like, oh, yeah. But, uh, for sure. These, I'm not even like, I'm not, I usually read a bunch of business books, uh, so I can have smart things to say on this, but I'm reading, uh, <laughs> The Name of the Wind. It's like some crazy high fantasy novel right now, which is awesome because I'm a giant nerd. Mm -hmm. Want to get each new episode of Honest e Commerce sent straight to your phone? Join our VIP texting list for updates on new episodes and exclusive deals from our partners. Text Honest VIP. That's H O N E S T V I P to 72599 to join. By the way, we're powering our text messages with PostScript, the number one text message marketing app for Shopify stores. Check out the show notes for a link to install PostScript for free today. <laughs> uh, so, you talked about something uh, a little bit ago, and you were talking about uh, making those initial hires. Um, I guess. What would you say uh, if you're going to go back and be like, what would you say was like the first crucial hire you had to make when you're kind of scaling the team beyond like key partners, i.e., beyond like manufacturing and stuff? Like, who was the first person to like actually join the company? The first outside person, uh, aside from the owners, you know, was a, was a customer service person to handle all the inbound customer service stuff, emails, hey, um, you know, I want to make an exchange, all the way to, you know, defect stuff or, um, hey, do you guys ship to this country or you know any of that kind of just inbound email stuff uh, and Facebook messages? That was that was huge. That took a lot off our plate because you know we were doing a lot of just prospecting and and getting out there in the world and just created a lot of questions because we created a product that didn't exist in the world. So people were like asking and you know asking questions at one about the product or two of how quickly they can get it or when it's going to ship or you know just stuff but then you learn a lot from that so you know to that point this is sort of off topic a little bit but very relevant to to the podcast you know taking the the inbound customer service stuff and if you get a lot of those common questions to make sure you're answering those questions on the website if if you're like oh people want to know when it's going to ship and you have an answer for that and you know that like ships within 24 hours or ships same day or order by this time and it ships today or you know any of those kind like trying to reduce those touch points like we talked about earlier so um 
that was just kind of a, a, a side yeah. thought as I had about customer service stuff. But using that information to your advantage to answer them on the website up front is huge. But yeah, customer service was a first was a big first hire that took a lot off our plate to allow us to really focus on other areas of the business for sure. Uh, and you know, I mean, you don't have to give it to the dollar, but do you know, do you remember about where you guys were in like yearly, like where it it, it was something that you had to consider? Um, somewhere around a million dollars, I think. Um, it's hard to say because this person was also working for me doing car stuff. So as I like shut down the car business, I just transitioned him over to tactical baby gear. So I don't really remember where exactly when that happened, but it was a, a crucial point for us. Like it was game changing. Yeah, I think our, our first hire at the agency was a uh, a product a project manager to just essentially make sure everything was getting done that we said was getting done. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, not letting stuff slip, slip through the cracks. Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of what customer service ends up falling on everyone's plate on the leadership team at any brand. It's like it's like we'll just get, yeah we'll get to it. Like everyone everyone has access to that account. Like we can all answer questions. We'll get to it when we get to it. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it's like three people's responsibility. They think someone else is going to do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, trying to delegate that, have a chain of command where it's like, you know, and we use customer service, you know, uh, softwares. So like Zendesk or Gorgeous or whatever. So mm-hmm. that way you can assign things to certain people at that point, right? Try to eliminate some of those, like, oh, I thought you were going to answer that. <laughs> no, not anymore. It's assigned to you, bud. Um, yep. So now that you've replaced yourself in your job about half a dozen times, maybe more, uh, you're kind of branching out more and doing more consulting. Yeah, I've always done a little bit of that, dabbled in it. Um, you know, I had a YouTube, I still have a YouTube channel and I create a lot of content around this stuff because I have a huge passion for it and I just I love to help people. Um, so I, you know, dabbled around in trying to do tutorials on how to do Facebook ads and things like that. Well then, you know, those videos led to it was like this, like top of funnel awareness where, you know, people would reach out. Hey, I saw your video on this. Like, would you, would you, you know, help us with our stuff? Blah, blah, blah. So I'd like, you know, fly to fly to North Carolina and spend two days with a company and, you know, help them with stuff or put things in place or just open their eyes to like, hey, we've always been, you know, B2C. We got a brick and mortar store, but we want to go online. And you, you know, we saw some of your videos on YouTube and you know, blah, 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 blah. So um I've always kind of dabbled in some of the consulting stuff, you know, for the last probably three or four years, I'd say. Um, I've been doing less and less of it. Now, because I'm, I just don't have the bandwidth. I just don't have the time. Um, so, like, even my YouTube channel, I haven't. I used to upload like twice a week. Now it's like twice a month. But I still like have a passion for doing that stuff and helping people. Um, just because I remember being there myself and wishing, like, I kind of want to be the resource of information that I wish I had when I was starting out. Because again, in 2013, when I when I started doing e-commerce, like there wasn't as much information and it was hard to weed through a lot of it. And there was like conflicting information. It was like, do this, no, don't do that, you know, or whatever. Um, so it was very difficult. So like, I want to be a resource of information for the things that I know are tried and true that have worked for me, that have gotten us this far, that are ethical ways of doing business and things of that nature. Um, so yeah, that's my intern consulting. <laughs> I just like to help people because I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, no, I can I can agree with that. So before before I let you go, uh, is there anything I didn't ask that you think is worthwhile? Um, man, I don't know. I think we covered quite a bit of good stuff. We could go down so many different side streets here, but uh, I don't know. I don't know that I have anything super particular to talk about, other than you know, just to my last point, like doing things ethically. Um, there's a lot of a lot of like get rich quick schemes out there. Um, you know, a lot of these, 
you know, Mike Winnett, as I kind of mentioned this guy's name to you earlier. Yeah. Um, he's a YouTuber. He's got a channel. I think it's Mike Winnett is the name of his YouTube channel. And he's on this contrepreneur, like exposing contrepreneurs where they're like fake entrepreneurs trying to con you into buying their program or their ebook or their, their, whatever their their thing is that they're trying to sell but he's got this whole thing on like exposing all these people and and how they do it and he spent a ton of money going to all the big conferences and you know all the stuff where they promise that you're going to make a million dollars within 6 months and blah 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 and you know it's only you know $897 but we're going to give you an even better value today it's only going to be $597 and only so many people can sign up and like all that kind of bullshit and then they just they know and they're just preying on the on the a week, you know what I mean? Like the bottom feeders where, you know, they're super desperate. They'll do anything to try to make a quick buck and they're just taking, taking advantage of them. But, uh, there is no quick, easy way to success. Like anything that you really want to have long-term success just requires a lot of effort and grit and patience. And I know I sound like I'm probably like regurgitating Gary V's words, uh, <laughs> but it's true. You know, I mean, a lot of the things that come out of people's mouths are, are true even though it's not what you want to hear. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially where honest e-commerce comes from. Uh, you're not going to buy a Ferrari. Do you have a Ferrari? I've got an Acura NSX. So, so it's like a Ferrari. But how long did it take you to get it? 15 years. Of hard work. Yeah. Almost every day. I'm sure you took a weekend off once in a while. Every once in a while. Yeah. But no, it's just it's that thing. Like it's not it's not get rich quick scheme. I'm going to spend two thousand dollars on Facebook ads, and I'm going to go out and buy this Tesla. It's you know it's half that stuff's a lie. There's overheads in the product. Like just because you made a hundred thousand dollars in sales in one month, like you didn't put that in your pocket. No, and if you're smart, you won't put it in your pocket. You'll reinvest it so that you can make two hundred thousand dollars, and then take a little bit for yourself and reinvest the rest of it and make some more money. You know what I mean? Like it. it and I think a lot of it too is balance and finding, you know, what your goals are. If like if you're content with that and that's paying the lifestyle that you want, then like cool. There's nothing wrong with a lifestyle business. There's nothing wrong with making a good income and living your life the way you want to. And you don't have to scale. Like there's nothing like I think that that's a toxic trait. Yeah. Sometimes it's like Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like that hustle culture, right? Where like you feel like you have to make a million dollars. Like I don't know who determined the million dollar thing that's like the the number, I mean, it's a big number, but like there's different ways to skin that cat. And to, for some people, a million dollars is a lot of money. And for some people, a million dollars means they're going out of business. So it's like, it's a relative term. So, you know, it's like, I know people that have side Shopify side hustles and they make, you know, 20, 30, 40 grand a month. And, you know, that's not profit, you know, in revenue and they, you know, pocket, uh, you know, 10 grand a month or something. And like, that's awesome. Yeah. And they'll ride that train as long as it goes. And they have, they still have a full time job. And, like with retirement benefits and all this stuff. So like that becomes like fun money for them and they can invest in kids' college funds and things like that. Like you don't have to make a hundred grand or a million dollars or whatever. Like, but you know, if you, if you're cool with the side hustle, like cool, like no one should judge you for that. You don't have to try to be the biggest in town. Yeah. I think it's the, the, what's worthwhile is you got to understand what your actual goals are and like, don't let anyone make your goal for you. Like yeah, figure out what you actually want to do, what you want to do. Yeah, for sure. And I guarantee as you get older, it's a lot less than you think. Oh yeah. At least well, until you have a family, then it just you your world goes <laughs> just, and then you and then you make a company to make diaper bags. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Awesome. Hey man, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um if people want to reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? 
Um, they can check out our company website at tacticalbabygear.com. And then uh, a personal brand stuff, you know, around this sort of thing as well, marketing content. Uh, I have podcasts, YouTube channel, and you can get to those by going to beavbrody.com. Um, but you can find me at those two places. Awesome. We'll put links to all that jazz in the show notes. And uh, I'm sh- for sure going to have you back on Unprepared, uh, the video one. And we're going to essentially break down the three the three step funnel we kind of talked about a little bit today, but we'll get a little bit more in place for a, a 10 minute. Essentially, like here's a done for you Instagram funnel for free for everybody. Cool. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.